of God. So please, if you do have your Bibles with you, please open to Luke 18. We're going to continue our series in the parables of Jesus in Luke 18. Remember what parables are? Parables are fictional stories told by Jesus that serve as a lens that we look through in order to learn two primary things. Number one, who is Jesus and what is, what is his kingdom all about? Who is Jesus and his kingdom? And then second, what does it mean for us to live for Jesus in his kingdom? Those are the two things that parables are trying to teach us every single time that we look at God's word. Luke 18 is the parable of the unjust judge. Maybe in your Bibles it says the persistent widow. It's about a widow who keeps praying and praying and praying, persevering or asking, asking, asking. And this unjust judge finally gives justice that she is asking for. And Jesus says this is a picture of what we should be doing to the Lord. Not because he's unjust, but because he is the God of justice. How much more then, as we pray and pray and pray that the Lord would bring justice, that he would do so and answer that prayer. Now we're talking about specifically how God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish justice. This doesn't mean that the Bible's not clear on talking about how we as followers of Christ, as Christians, ought to be committed to working for justice in our everyday lives and in the local places that we live, and globally. That's very important. We do have a responsibility to love our neighbor as ourselves and to work and promote justice. But today the focus is on what Christians has, have always believed historically throughout the church history, that fundamentally it doesn't matter how much humans try to act for justice and to enact justice, though it is important, fundamentally justice is what God will do, what God will bring to this world in the final return of Jesus Christ. And so that's the focus of today, is that we must be a people who are persistently persevering in prayer for the future coming of the justice of Christ as he comes in his second coming. So that's the whole point of this morning. If you walk away with one thing, I want you to walk away from this, that we must be a people here at Parkview Church, a people that persist in prayer or persevere in prayer or keep praying, not giving up heart, as Jesus will say in verse one, that we must do this, this continual asking the Lord because we trust in the future justice of Jesus. We continue to pray now, we persevere in prayer now, praying in light of the future coming of Christ and the justice that he will bring. That's the whole point of our passage. And I want you to very quickly Look with me, uh, glancing at the verses here that we have before us, Luke 18, verses 1 to 8, just to, to show you that what I just said is directly from God's word. If you look at verse 1, Jesus says the whole point of the parable is that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then verse 3, it says there's a widow who is praying or asking to the judge, give me justice, justice. Then verse 5, the judge says that he will give her justice. And then in verse 7, Jesus then flips it, con contrasts the judge with the Lord himself and says, will not God give justice to his elect? And then verse 8, again, Jesus says, he will give justice to them speedily. And then the fundamental question at the end is, will the Son of Man, which is an identity that Jesus claims, the Son of Man, Jesus, when he comes, future coming, will, future, in the future, when he comes, will he find faith on earth? 
So we must, as the church of Christ, keep praying, persevering in prayer, not giving up heart, because we trust that Jesus will return to bring justice. That's the whole point of our passage this morning. So now let's, let's read the whole thing together. You will listen. I will read it out loud. Let's hear God's word for us today. Starting in verse 1. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. There's the point. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice against my adversary. For a while the judge refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. It is true, and it's given to us in love. So let's pray together, seeking the Lord's help to understand it. Father, take this truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, as the great song says, Lord. Father, we want you to fulfill all your purposes for your glory among us. Help me come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Help me come first as a servant to you and to your word, and then secondly, as a servant to these beloved Dear people, help us take one solid step forward together as a praying church in maturity in Christ for the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. Now, to be, to be honest, in my Christian life, I find it easy to stop praying about things, to lose heart. Um, I have these prayer cards. There's this book called A Praying Life. It's, I think, one of the most helpful books on just how do you pray as a Christian by a man named Paul Miller. And the first part of the book is kind of why we should pray, and then the last part is how you should pray, and very practically encourages people to take a three-by-five card, and on the one side, kind of just name the theme of that card of what you're praying for, and then on the back side, um, you're supposed to write the details of kind of what specific prayer requests are you asking the Lord to do for this area. So I've got a ministry prayer card. I've got a marriage prayer card. I've got a prayer card for my son, Haddon. I've got a personal sin and repentance card. Kind of what are my besetting sins I need the Lord to help and change me on? I want to be praying about those things. And I recently looked through these cards and I realized I've stopped praying for a lot of the stuff on the cards. I've given up, I've, I've lost heart, and I've stopped praying. I wonder if the same could be said about you this morning, that there are areas in your life or in this world, broken areas, both, we might say, small and big, areas that you've sought the Lord to fix, wrongs in your life that you want the Lord to put right. That's what justice is, according to the Bible. Very simply, it is about God putting right the wrongs in our lives and in the whole of the world. But maybe you've given up. 
Maybe part of you, you stop praying about those things. You stop praying for the Lord to bring justice to the oppressed people in Iowa City, whether in the womb or out of the womb. Maybe you've stopped praying for the Lord to bring justice to the Christians in Nigeria or Somalia or places in the Middle East where Christians are dying on a regular basis for their faithful witness to Christ. We've stopped praying for those things, those big justice things. Or maybe closer to home, we've stopped praying for the Lord to fix the broken places in our relationships. Maybe for you, it's a child's consistent animosity and indifference toward the Lord Jesus, though you have tried your very best to speak openly and lovingly to your child about Christ, they continue to reject that. Or the point of nagging conflict between you and your spouse that won't seem to go away month after month, year after year. Or the coworker who keeps disrespecting you. Or you stop praying for the Lord to fix the broken places in your personal life to change your heart on that particular sin that you are confronted with on a regular basis, or to grow in the areas of the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and kindness, you've stopped praying. Early on, you jumped out of the gate with zeal and passion, and you prayed, prayed, prayed your heart out, but it just seems like the Lord hasn't done anything. The Lord is not working justice. He's not putting right the wrongs, and so then the zeal has cooled down to a frozen frost. Your heart has given up. You have lost heart. And when you lose heart, brothers and sisters, you stop praying. You stop praying. You stop believing that we don't live in a world of secular atheism. Actually, what what Christ has shown us through his word, we live in a world of a heavenly father who loves us. We might say, dare I say, it's almost like a magical world in which the Heavenly Father is so deeply committed to our good and to his glory that he works through average, ordinary, normal people like us as we pray and he answers prayer. And that's the world that we live in. Jesus says that his Father is now your Father if you trust by faith in him. And if you have a sovereign, huge, massively awesome Heavenly Father then shouldn't we be praying all the time? But we lose heart, and we stop praying. Now, there's two reasons, I think, of why that is. There's a cultural reason and a biblical reason. Verse one, Jesus says, right, very clear, the whole point that he wants to give this parable is that we would pray and not lose heart, to keep praying, to keep praying, keep praying. But I think we lose heart and we stop praying for two reasons. One is a cultural reason. You and I live in a Amazon Prime world. We want justice now, like 24 hours ago now. We very subtly in the Western 21st century have had our spiritual watches, so to speak, our clocks, set to the instant, to the efficient, to the speedy. We are enamored by technique, efficient technique. There's always an app that you could download or whatever it is, something you could go by to micromanage your life towards instant success and efficiency. We have a right here, right now, I order it, I get it, two days later, Amazon Prime attitude, mentality. 
I mean, is it any wonder why so many of us stop praying consistently for the Lord to work justice, whether kind of those smaller areas of our life or the bigger areas of our city or our nation or our world? We stop praying and we grow impatient or we grow cynical, stop believing the Lord is at work, stop believing that he will bring justice, all because our hearts are like mine. When last Tuesday, I was angry at the UPS guy for mishandling my package in New York City, thereby ruining its chances to get on the plane to the delivery truck in Chicago. And you know what? Because of that, he totally ruined my happiness for me getting my book on Wednesday and said I got it Thursday, a whole 24 hours from the time it said it was supposed to come. The travesty of it all. But you know you do the same thing. Because we have imbibed and drunk down the atmosphere that we live in in our technologically advanced Western 21st century culture. We order something at Chick-fil-A or Raising Cane's or whatever your favorite is, and if it doesn't come within the 10 minutes that you think it should come or four minutes or whatever, we get frustrated. So is there any reason why we wouldn't expect us to struggle with prayer, especially when it feels like the Lord is delaying and answering the prayer that we keep praying about. And so we stop praying. We stop believing. But Jesus this morning is going to show us there's a deeper reason than just this cultural issue at play. There's a, there's a heart reason. There's a biblical reason. And it's this, is that we must understand three things. We must understand where we are in God's timeline. We misunderstand who God is and his character of justice. And we forget who Jesus is, what Jesus has promised to do in terms of him coming and returning. So what Jesus wants to do this morning through Luke 18, brothers and sisters, is to recalibrate our hearts and our imaginations, to recalibrate our watches, so to speak, the spiritual soul watches that we have according to his time. We look at three things this morning to help us pray, to keep praying and not lose heart, we need to understand where we are in God's timeline. Number two, we need to understand who God is. And third, we have to understand what Jesus expects of us. So first, where are we? Where are we this morning? Well, we are in what theologians throughout church history have called the already not yet, okay? Already, Jesus has come in his first coming, and we are so thankful for that. And he's come and he healed and he forgave sinful people and ultimately he lived the perfect life of obedience to the Lord and he died a death on the cross in our place for our sin and he, he did all of that in his first coming and he was raised from death three days later and he now then has ascended into heaven and now here we are, the church, post-resurrection but before his second coming. Already Jesus has come, but, but not yet. Things don't go the way that we wish we, they would. Things are broken. And this is important to understand because Jesus, in Luke 18, to understand it well, it's to understand chapter 17 of Luke. In chapter 17, we don't have time to go into detail, but if you just notice verses 22 or verse 24 or verse 26 or verse 30, you'll see a phrase that Jesus uses about the days of the Son of Man that are coming. In the days of the Son of Man, Jesus says, come, there will then come justice. 
And the thrust of chapter 17 is that when the Son of Man comes, there will be justice, and God will put right everything that has gone wrong in his world that he made and loves. And so remember what the Son of Man means. If you read the Gospels, you will notice Jesus says Son of Man and uses that kind of identifier for himself all the time. And there are three aspects of what Jesus means when he says he's the Son of Man. First, he's a humble servant who forgives people. We see this in uh, the Gospel of Mark when he forgets the man who is paralyzed. And he says, the Son of Man on earth has authority to forgive sins. He forgives people. Second, he's the suffering servant who redeems people through his death and resurrection. Jesus talks about this. The Son of Man has come uh, to give his life up as a ransom, to die in the place of sinners, to redeem them. But third is that the Son of Man means the glorious king and judge who will return to establish God's kingdom finally and fully on earth. Those are the three things. In Jesus' first coming, notice, in his first coming, he deals with numbers one and two. He's the humble servant who forgives, and he's the suffering servant who redeems people through his death and resurrection. But in his second coming is the focus of the third one, that he's the glorious king and judge who will restore and mend and heal God's world once and for all. And all throughout the Old Testament, if you, by the way, were a first century person listening to Jesus, and he's talking about the Son of Man, what you would have in your mind would be passages and the Son of Man returning, as Jesus is teaching these people in Luke 17 and 18. What you'd have in your mind as a first century person is passages like Isaiah 65. In Isaiah 65, it talks about how God will behold, create a new heavens and a new earth. And that in this coming kingdom, there will be unending joy as his people are a joy and his people enjoy gladness. Isaiah 65 says there will be fruitful and positive work as his people no longer labor in vain but enjoy the work of their hands. It says in this coming kingdom that God will bring that there will be an intimate relationship with God that before they call, Isaiah 65 says, the Lord says that he, that he will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear this speaking and hearing. There will be this special intimate relationship in this future time. A putting right of every wrong. And if you're in the first century listening to Jesus saying the Son of Man will come and he will bring justice, this is what you're imagining. A whole creation, a whole world, and my life in particular, finally put right if I would just trust in Jesus Christ alone. But you and I do not live in that kingdom. And you and I struggle to be encouraged. And you and I if we're honest, we stop praying. It's because we forget where we are. That we are already, Jesus has come yet, but we're not yet there, brothers and sisters. And this world that we live in and the lives that we live in, yes, we are forgiven and cleansed by Jesus Christ. Yes, we now have a right relationship with God the Father through what Jesus has done. Already we have what Ephesians 1 says, every spiritual blessing in Christ. But we not yet are in heaven. And life here, wouldn't you say, can be so utterly miserable and difficult at times that it's easy to lose heart. Some of us this morning are suffering such deep injustice and pain that you are just on a thread 
of giving up hope entirely. And what Jesus wants to remind you from his word is that he understands what's going on. He knows the situation. He talked about the situation so that we as disciples would be ready for this situation. The already and the not yet. That's where we are. And that's why we must keep praying. That's why we must keep praying, and therefore Jesus urges and encourages us this morning, and I want to make this very clear. Remember that the Lord Jesus never shames you nor threatens you into having a better prayer life. The heart of Christ is to encourage you, to comfort you, to lift you up, and to place you into more prayer and more intimacy, and more zeal for God. That's what he's doing this morning through his word, brothers and sisters. And he's gonna do it through this parable. So this is where we're gonna look at God's character. So we've seen where we are, but we have to also understand who God is. And very simply, what Jesus is doing here is what some scholars would say kind of a less to more argument. A major contrast, right? A dramatic contrast between the unjust judge and who God really is. Verse 3, the widow, we see, is, is coming, keeps coming, persevering, ongoing coming, asking, asking, over and over again, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. Now, if you're a widow in the first century and you've got no other person, mostly it would have to be a man, who could come alongside you as an advocate, if you didn't have any of that, like this widow, you basically have got nothing. You're almost at the worst, most desperate situation, and all she has is a voice and a plea of give me justice, 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 give me justice. And at first, the judge, verse four, says the judge refuses her. But then in the end, he ends up stating what? He says, I will give her justice, though I'm a total low-life loser, because I neither fear God nor respect man, which basically were the two main things in Jesus' first century context that you should be. Love God and love neighbor. Sound familiar? This guy's saying he even self-identifies. I mean, at least the guy has enough self-awareness. We could appreciate that maybe, right? I don't care about God at all. And you know what? I don't even care about people. But he says what? Verse five, I will give her justice, verse five, so that she will not beat me down, weary me with her continual coming. Fundamentally, the judge acts on selfish interest. And if we're not careful, we can think God is like this. That at bottom, God is a curmudgeon. God is self-interested. He's unwilling to help us. He's not actually caring about us, but just doing enough to kind of, you know, get us off of his back and to just shut us up. But notice what Jesus says in verse six. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Did you hear it? The unrighteous judge says he will give justice because, because he just wants her off his back. Basic self-interest, to shut the woman up. But then notice then what Jesus does. He then contrasts it with who God is. Listen very carefully. Verse seven, ask the first question, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, just like this widow? Then the second question, will he delay long over them? And then his summary statement, in case we might be still doubting, 
that God is sort of maybe like this unjust judge, Jesus says, I tell you, for sure, certainly you can bank on it, God will give justice to them, to his elect, speedily. Justice given in God's time. Jesus opens the door to show us what God is like, and this is who our God is. He will give justice to his elect. The logic is pretty clear. If an unjust judge who cares not a nothing zilch about God, nor cares not a nothing zilch about humans, if that judge will in the end give justice, how much more will the God who loves his people give justice? That's what it means, by the way, to be elect. Sometimes we read this book, this word in the Bible, and it can maybe make the anxiety spike up a bit. Election, what's going on there? Well, very simply, what the Bible shows us is to be elect is to be God's special chosen people that he loves. John Owen, one of my uh, favorite theologians of the 17th century, he says this about God's love for his people. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. This is what it means to be God's elect, to be God's special loved people. He says, there's nothing in the sinner that would arouse love in God. Let us see the Father as one who from eternity has always had kind thoughts toward us. Before we ever existed or had done the least good, God thought of us, and he loved us, and he delighted in us. Let this then be the first thought, the first thought that we have of the Father, that he is full of eternal love to us. Let our hearts and thoughts be filled with his love to us, even though many discouragements line our way. See what Jesus is giving to us, Parkview, is this. Since our Father loves us, since we are his elect people, since he is so committed to our good, will he not then, out of love for us, give justice to us? I mean, very simply, I'm a father of a three-year-old boy, and I love Haddon with all my heart. And I will do whatever necessary to put right the things that have gone wrong in his life. If Haddon has a scraped knee, I give him a Band-Aid. If he is hungry, I give him food. If he's scared, I pick him up and I hold him and I carry him. Whatever is wrong, because of my deep love for him, I will do whatever necessary to put that wrong thing right. And what Jesus is showing us is that that is who our God is. Parkview, he is not an unjust judge acting out of petty self-interest to do the bare minimum to simply get us off of his back. No, God is an infinite, eternal, heavenly father who has an infinite, eternal love for us, who doesn't just want to get us off of his back, but actually wants our problems and takes them and puts them on his back. Because that's what a heavenly father does. And that is who Jesus Christ reveals what God is like, that he has the self-giving love. Do you realize that throughout the Gospels and throughout the whole story of the Bible, what it reveals about God is a heavenly father who has a Niagara Falls of love on his son Jesus in the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
And what Jesus has done is God himself entering into the world, grabbing you, and then bringing you into the deluge, deluge, awesome, overflowing goodness of the Father's love. That is what we learned when we looked at John 17, didn't we? When Jesus says, Father, that you would love them just as I love them. The love that the Father has for Christ, he now gives to us. So then, friends, we have every reason to keep praying. You have every reason, Parkview Church, to take heart, to be encouraged this morning. Jesus is seeking to encourage you to not give up because of who God is, because he is our Heavenly Father who loves us and he will give justice speedily. Now, I know that the text says he will give justice speedily, and it feels like Jesus is sort of lying here. Is he pulling a joke on us? Because we've tried the whole prayer thing, and it's now three or four years, or it's now 13 to 17 years, or it's now 35 years for the thing that we've been praying about. God, this thing has been so wrong in my life for so long. Will you put it right? And it seems like God is not listening or he doesn't care or is he not strong enough or whatever it is, we've lost heart because it doesn't seem like he acts speedily. But let's remember our Bibles, brothers and sisters. Let's remember that what we feel is happening is not always the indicator of what's truly happening in God's perspective. Second Peter 3, the apostle Peter's writing to a church that for sure was experiencing severe injustice and difficulty. And he seeks to encourage them by reminding them of the coming future day of the Lord Jesus, the coming of the Son of Man. And Peter says this, do not overlook this one fact, okay, Get this one fact, Peter says, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Translation, God doesn't give a rip about Amazon Prime delivery system. That's not God's timetable. That's not how God is functioning. And God doesn't lose your package, and he doesn't delay in delivery, and he never treats you as a consumer of a product in a machine of ever-increasing profit. You are the beloved child of a loving, infinitely powerful heavenly father who is watching over you and who's intimately at work in your life, Romans 8, working all things for good, for your good and for his glory. Romans 8 says, if God did not spare his own son Jesus, how will he not also with him give us all things because he loves us? But what we must remember is what Tim Keller once said about prayers. Very helpful statement. Listen in here, I'll say it twice. God always answers your prayers in precisely the way, and I might say time, precisely the way and time you want them to be answered if you knew everything that he knew about your life. 
God always answers your prayers in precisely the way that you want them to be answered in the time that you want them to be answered if you knew everything that he knew about your life. You see, we've been talking about God's justice, and it is true and beautiful, and he will put things right, but we also have to understand both God's patience and his wisdom. God is working on an infinitely different timetable than you are, and I know that's difficult, but you have to also understand that he is a wise heavenly father. He's the smartest person in the universe. He knows everything about your life, and you have to trust that he's working all things for good, even if you cannot see it. He is doing something, a million things in your life right now, because he is committed to you to love you. Our loving God of justice will bring justice speedily in his own wisdom and in his own way. And of course, the, the, the focus here is the future, the future coming of Christ. And so we must continue to wait and wait and wait and trust that God will do the right thing and he will do it in the right time. And for whatever reason right now, that it feels like you are languishing in that unanswered prayer. And it feels like Jesus is taking forever to come back, though we say, come back, Lord Jesus, and fix this broken world and put right what is wrong, that we know that he is delaying, he has a great purpose. He's drawing men and women around the world to saving faith in his son. He's being patient and patient and patient so that more and more people might know the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so we wait and we pray and we pray. Take heart, brothers and sisters. And this leads us to the last point I wanna make about Jesus. In verse eight, Jesus says it all comes down to faith. The question that Jesus is asking you and me this morning in terms of us to keep praying and to not lose heart is this. Do you have faith? Do you trust Jesus? And the reason that you can trust Jesus, Parkview, and the reason you can keep praying is this, and this is the logic that the Bible offers us in the gospel of Christ. The reason you cannot lose heart and keep praying is this, is that in love, the Father gave his Son in the first coming of Christ. And Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to come as a ransom for people's sin. Jesus came the first time to take upon himself the justice of God, of God's just holy wrath against your sin. Jesus came the first time in his incarnation and specifically in his death, bearing upon himself the justice of God. That's why he came the first time for our sin. So if God is so loving, Parkview, listen to this, if God is so loving as to give his son Jesus in the first coming, to accomplish justice, then certainly we can trust that Jesus, out of love for us, will come a second time in justice. Brothers and sisters, here it is. Don't miss this this morning. In his first coming on the cross, Jesus took the hell of God's justice for your sin so that in his second coming, you might know the healing of God's justice for your life and this world. Do you understand this, brothers and sisters, that if Jesus and we can all confidently trust as the Bible gives us Christ in his first coming, yes, we say, yes, Jesus, I know that you've taken God's justice, you've done that for me in mercy and love, amen. And if we can trust it in the first, then we can trust it in the second coming. 
when he will come and he will finally bring healing into this world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' promise is true. He will one day make all things new. The question this morning is, do you trust him? So very simply, I want you to think about in your life, what's that kind of small thing that you've given up praying about? And what are the bigger things that we should be praying about as a church? Those bigger, bigger areas of injustice as our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering for Christ, and maybe we've just stopped praying about that. Let's come back to Jesus Christ. Let's remember the God of justice. Let's remember the promise that he's giving to us in his word, that he will come and restore all things. He will put everything right. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. So Father, we do pray. We pray for justice, Lord. How long, O oh Lord, how long will you wait, Lord? We want you to come, come speedily, come bring justice, and yet we trust you that you're the God of wisdom, that you know when that is best, and we know that one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day, and so we submit ourselves to you afresh. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for my own heart. As some of us have become so discouraged, we've stopped praying about those things. By your, by your word, through your Holy Spirit, would you help us again lift our eyes to the loving Heavenly Father who has loved us so much that he's given us his son Jesus and who has loved us so much, he'll send his son yet again for us. Lord, help us trust you all over again this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.